0: Stop, sit down, relax, think, stop, sit down, relax, think. All on time Then go get up, get up, go, go, get up, get up, go.
1: Buckaroo, holiday.
2: but they say it's the 71st episode of Buckaroo Holiday, the show that grabs you by the scruff of the neck and throws you in the deep end. My name is Sport Murphy, and I'm your host, O'Rooney, bringing you approximately two hours of sounds. Musical sounds and verbal sounds and-
3: And you know
4: Just
2: sounds. Strange change-ups like that there. Now we opened with an edited snippet of Sauter Finnegan, Wacky big band who had all those great Jim Flora record covers. Stop, sit down, relax, think. Good advice, even if you don't take to Sauter Finnegan. Then you heard Our Prayer by Brian Wilson, performed by Eric Lindgren and his bespoke consort. Eric Lindgren is a composer, founding member of Bird Songs of the Mesozoic. Great little art combo with one of my favorite all-time names. I had to love Bird Songs of the Mesozoic. but I didn't love them, like them. I do love Slim Gaylord. Slim Bam Everybody, welcome to Buckaroo Holiday. Seagulls!
5: Fly! Seagulls are flying! Blubbity-blub! Muppity-da-mah! da -da mob, Blum! Lying in the sun and having fun. Lagona, Oreeny, Lagona, Oreeny, Lagona, Oreeny, Lying in the sun and having fun.
2: How's about we get things started with a track called Cumberland Island by Blooper? Talk about this later. Go, 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 go. go.
1: that That was one of my favorites, and I'm Al Martino.
2: silver convention with fly robin fly little disco there the kind of thing you'd normally hear on the new year's eve party here in fact you might even have heard it on the new year's eve party here but you know i'm not going to worry so much anymore about whether things were played before people tune into these things you know they discover this show somehow or another and they listen to it not a lot of people go back and listen to them I, i don't see a lot of people digging back into early shows So aside from those of you who have been here the whole time and who have been loyal stalwart listeners, I don't think the occasional redundancy is a great concern. And I think even the more stalwart loyal listeners wouldn't mind hearing the same song again. I mean, you know, you don't like listening to one song once and then throw out the record. That would would be nuts. That would be just sheer nuts. But by the way, those of you who aren't regular listeners, you might want to dig back. You're really missing a great resource here by not listening back to earlier shows. Of course, I will piss some of you off, and then you'll never listen to the show again when you hear some of the political stuff, but that ain't my fucking problem. And back to you loyal stalwart types. Got a lot of great response to the show about the wind that I just posted over on the Patreon. One of the single topic quickies that I've been doing from time to time. But anyway, let me talk about the songs you just heard. Because we started with Blooper, which is spelled the way it sounds, except there's no E. Blooper from Nashville, Tennessee. This is an artist who works in the box, you know, in his home computer. Only been at it a couple of years, but has quite a library of albums over there at Bandcamp. And I like the sample-based stuff as a rule. It's this, I guess you could call this stuff hip-hop without the rapping, which is perfect for me. You heard a track from an album called Bogmire, which takes up a lot of natural themes in its titles. That one was called Cumberland Island, but there's a lot of plant names and animal names, I guess, in the titles. I think it's really nice, kind of dreamy. So check out Blooper on Bandcamp and maybe buy something. Then you heard The Rain by Robin Hitchcock from Groovy Decoy, which was his remix of Groovy Decay, an album produced by Steve Hillage. Robin was very unhappy with that album. And it did sound kind of weird. I guess Robin was expecting Hillage to bring a kind of a gong sensibility to it. Instead he brought a proggy sensibility. So Robin revisited the album. I think I've played the other version on an early show. And this is the revised version. One of the reasons I like the song is it doesn't have that that wacky surrealism that he always leans on. It gets kind of tiring to me, a lot of that. Seems much more um, grounded, this number. I don't know. But you see why it's occurred to me to say, uh, Fly Robin Fly, right? Now behind me you hear Sly, Batman Sly. You want to hear the proper song? Yeah, alright, Here we go.
6: They just loves to learn And uh, another child grows up to be Somebody you just love to burn Mom loves the both of them You see it's in the blood Both kids are good and balanced Thicker than the mud, it's a family affair. It's
7: a family affair
6: It's a family affair. checking each other out, hey, nobody wants to blow, nobody wants to be left out, uh-huh, you can't leave, cause your heart is there, but you're, you you can not stay, cause you've been somewhere else, you can't cry. Cause you look broke down But you're crying anyway Cause you're all broke down It's a family affair It's a family affair It's a family affair
2: Sack Ziegler is a German who has been making music since the 1980s. And he's another bedroom composer and producer. Quite different than Blooper. That recording was called Reggae Version. Reggae Version. And of course we had Sly and the Family Stone. Everybody knows that song. I guess I chose to play it because family's on my mind even more than normal right now. We've had a couple of really tough weeks. The whole summer's been challenging in a lot of ways. But, oh boy, I don't know how much I want to talk about it, but i got to tell you something. I'm kind of wired. As I record this, tomorrow is September 11th. And for those of you who know about my life, you know that it has particular significance. And usually, as the date approaches, I feel this... uh, unease come on over me and uh it seems like for many many years i just had no idea you know i would just feel anxious i would have bad sleep and it wasn't until the the 11th i said oh christ right it's this day again and then it would kind of go away because you know i realized that this subconscious thing building it's been kind of drifting away that problem for the last couple of years and this year it really wasn't to my knowledge really happening at all just because there was so much other crap going on in my life. I may talk about it specifically, I may not. I don't know, but it's getting me waxing philosophical and all this kind of jazz. So I might do more yapping today than I normally do. For those of you who are put off by that, and I'll skip forward, but uh, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Now I've mentioned before that of all the schools of philosophy, the one that makes the most sense to me that I find the most useful is stoicism. I read a lot of Seneca. I reread Marcus Aurelius all the time. The way uh, faithful Christians read Bible verses, I go to Marcus Aurelius. When you're in a very intense situation in your life, terrifying, draining, and we've been in that for the last couple of weeks, the one useful thing you can take from it is it really does catapult you into the moment in no uncertain terms. And when things go well, when things turn around and get better than they seemed, it really is an enormous gift and a lot of things that are usually weighing on you put themselves in their correct position tend to be seen as pretty trivial by comparison. And very tiny things, very commonplace things, ephemeral things are there for savoring and it sounds like a cliché, but it's easily forgotten and very hard to maintain. Now, I just finished the show about the wind that was on the Patreon. And I want to finish up the third movie music from the 70s show and get that up there. But um, I wasn't planning on doing the 71st show right away. But like I said, I'm wired, I'm driven to do it. And there's stuff I want to say, but I don't know what it is yet. In the course of this, maybe I'll say some of it. Bet you can't wait. (laughs) Anyway, back to the music. Here's one that might have made The Wind show, since The Wind is recent. You might say, The Wind is at my back. It's from a terrific artist named Sheila MacDonald, who made a few records way back when, early 70s, I guess, and then disappeared. All kinds of rumors about her life and her demise were going around. But then she reemerged and uh, has been performing again and recording again. And as I've often said, I like those kind of stories where people... Are recognized for long ignored work. I just like seeing people get their due for their effort. And the song's called Waiting for the Wind to Rise. Now, Sheila's sort of in that English-Irish- Scottish folk rock vein. So while we're there, gonna listen to a more recent recording by the Memory Band, which is a sort of a musical collective that does folk-based stuff. A lot of interesting music. I'm going to play one called The Mason and the Lark, which is really the kind of... Oh. Sorry about that. Hang on a second. Bucklew Holiday. Yep, Sport Murphy, that's right. Well, yeah, you know, it's like folk music, folk rock, whatever, you know. But... Well, it's just a, it's a mini set. A Thin Lizzy, yeah. No, no, I, 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 I like them, yeah. But it doesn't... Oh, okay. If you insist. All right, you got it. All right. Kohler seems to think that Thin Lizzy fits that folk rock English-Irish thing, you know? And some of it does. I, I'll find one here. Let's see. Let's go with um, Philomena. Philomena, that's a song for Phil Lynott's mother from the Thin Lizzy album Nightlife. Okay, sounds like a set to me. Let's hear Sheila. Two, three, and...
0: Bye. Tell her.
5: Shut up. Just because we were friends before and used to work together, I've been covering up for you. That's going to stop too,
2: you understand? Shut up! Nah, nah, that's no way to talk to you, pal. Boy, oh boy. Dean Martin, of course, from the 1964 album Dream with Dean, which is an amazing sounding record. Speaking of sounding amazing, I have some reconstructions here of 78 records from the 1920s. 78 RPM, of course. I don't have, like, 78 records here. I might. know, but no. And I'll tell you about the audio reconstruction in a minute, but the artist is Donald Lindley, who I had never heard of. I was turned on to him by Steve Espinola, who I mentioned on the Biff Rose commentary last time. Because of his interest in Fletcher Henderson, Steve got hip to an arrangement that was done by this guy, Donald Lindley, and started listening to his own stuff. And there isn't much of it, but played the trumpet. And it's kind of in the universe of Bix, Beiderbecke. A lot of this 1920s music to people who aren't familiar with it, it's the same thing you get with a lot of particular genres like doo-wop or blues or rockabilly. Unless you're really into the form, it all sounds the same. Garage rock, you know, same thing. It's a shame because a lot of people hear 20s music as just the kind of a standardized sound that accompanies movies of... Flappers kicking their feet and Mickey Mouse and shit like that. But there's so much rich, rich music, especially in the jazz world, from the 20s. So I told Erwin Chusett about Lindley, and he liked his work too. And Erwin contacted his friend Dan Duncan, who's a guy who really knows his 20s music and does this restoration work. And uh, Erwin sent me four tracks that this guy had cleaned up of Donald Lindley's stuff. And I'm going to play one called Slippin' Around. I think it's outstanding, very original stuff. See what you think. Then I got something by the Sapphire Thinkers, band that did one album in 1969. It was two brothers who were the sons of Bill Richmond, a close collaborator with Jerry Lewis. Not that that connection helped them any. And I think kind of like the West Coast pop art experimental band, they never got a fair crack at the whip. That band featured brothers who were the sons of composer Roy Harris. But here's a nice song from the Sapphire Thinkers album. It's called Let Her Come In. And you oughta, because what, are you going to leave her out there all night? What the hell's wrong with you? I like it! Shut up! for So is it corny or insipid? You may think so. I don't think so. It's the wonderful Shelby Flint. Talked about her on the Wind special that was just on the Patreon. We played her version of Cast Your Fate to the Wind, and this is another side of her work. Song she wrote. Her co-writer on it was Barry DeVorzon, who we've talked about before also, because he worked with Perry Botkin Jr., among other things that he did, many of them. But uh, He worked with Perry Botkin Jr. on Nadia's theme. Came up with that one. But the one you just heard, "I Will Love You," is to me a plaintive, classic-sounding thing, just, just touching. And it was covered by a few people. The Lettermen did it, and somebody had a hit with it. Um, minor hit. Uh, I can't remember now. No, wait, it was Dr. Kildare. Dr. Kildare. Richard Chamberlain had a hit with it. But Shelby's version is uh, sweet and tender and beautiful, don't you think? I think. Before that was a band called Joan of Arc. And I I've run hot and cold on their music. That one I liked. It was called Forever Jung. Get it? Carl Jung? And a lot of their songs have these clever titles, puns and non sequiturs and things. It's interesting music, definitely interesting music. You might like it. Joan of Arc. Uh, Now you know when I started this show, meaning this episode, not the whole show, you know. Obviously it was a while back because it wasn't yet September 11th. And I said I had a lot of things I wanted to say, or something like that. Still do, I guess, but I um, I think I'll stick with more of a philosophical thing. I feel like quoting some stuff. And this one here is from the novelist John Steinbeck. The free exploring mind of the individual human is the most valuable thing in the world. And this I would fight for, the freedom of the mind to take any direction it wishes, undirected. And this I must fight against, any idea, religion, or government which limits or destroys the individual. This is what I am, and what I am about. I can understand why a system built on a pattern must try to destroy the free mind, for this is the one thing which can, by inspection, destroy such a system. Surely I can understand this, and I hate it, and I will fight against it to preserve The one thing that separates us from the uncreative beasts. If the glory can be killed, we are lost. Thank you, John Steinbeck. As a member of the fuck a community community, I approve this message. I think that maybe one of the things that connects a lot of the artists I choose to play on the show is that sense of individuality. They sound like themselves, even if they're working in a genre that's um, kind of standardized, like we talked about before. Um, It's that extra thing, that uniqueness of a particular record or artist. That attracts me, I think. And sometimes the uniqueness has to do with what some people might call incompetence. Sometimes the uniqueness... Oh, you're hearing noises now. See, there's a guy working outside, putting gutters and roofing tiles right above me but I'll never put gutters or roofing tiles above you listener anyway what was I saying sometimes it's an amateurishness that creates the interest in a record the oddness of it sometimes there's something preposterous about it I don't mean that it's like a novelty thing there's just some mystique there's some special thing that happens sometimes and that can apply to demos too My final project that I ever did musically was a thing called A Room of Voices. And the idea behind it was to make a collection of demos. That was not the whole idea behind it, but that was the the formal conceit of it. I wasn't going to try to make it sound like anything other than a demo. I was trying to get that immediacy, try to get whatever comes of my own incompetence, and that incompetence interacting with uh, some of the guest performers who had more talent than me. You know, not not false modesty, it's the truth. Oops. There goes that there, they're cutting something out there or drilling something or whatever. Forgive the noise. But that quality, that demo quality, attracts me to certain records. And I've been checking out one in particular lately called All the Falling Angels, which is a collection of mostly demos by Keith Relf. He was the lead singer of the Yardbirds, band mostly known for breeding all these big rock guitarists. Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, all became well known in the Yardbirds. And I don't really give a fuck about any of that. I was never much interested in the music of any of those guys. But I did like the Yardbirds. One of the things about it was they did some Graham Gouldman's songs. Talked about him on a previous show. And the lead singer, Keith Relf, was an interesting guy. He died young, but before he did, he after the Yardbirds, he formed the band Renaissance with his sister and Jim McCarty from the Yardbirds. I think after like two albums, the band kind of broke up and then reformed with all new members. So it became a completely different thing, but it was kind of a pioneering sort of proggy act. And Ralph knocked around with some other projects and things. But these demos are really interesting because sometimes they are really crude and weird, almost like outsider music. And I'll give you a couple of truncated examples because I'm not gonna play a bunch of tracks. I'm gonna play one complete track but a couple of other segments of things just to give you an example of how interesting this CD is. This is one of the kind of things you do on a tape when you don't have any lyrics yet but you're trying to get a melody idea and chord change idea down. So it's called End and Out, which I suspect was just something that Ralph wrote on the tape as a description of what was on the tape. It wasn't a song title, per se. But it's the makings of a hit, I think, or a makings of a really catchy song, anyway. And that's one of the things about these demos, the potential of it and the guilelessness of it. The It's no art damage. It's just an inspiration flowing out. And I love that kind of thing. Me personally, now that I'm in the middle of this um, archiving project that's been going on for months, I'm finding sacks and sacks of writing tapes. Not demos per se, more like this stuff where it's uh, like just tapes you throw in to catch an idea on the fly. If I had the resources at the time to complete any of these things, since they go back, I guess, to like Skell's days, like in the 80s, I mean, I, I might have had 20 albums worth of songs, not the anybody needs that in the world, (laughs) but sometimes in a fit of despair I would throw bags of these tapes away in the garbage, and I'm shocked at how many of them I still have. (laughs) There's so much, uh, I don't know, dreaming captured there, and that's what moves me about Ralph's tapes. It's a fair tragedy when you contemplate all the things that discourage you or block you, and it's not as if Anyway, for me, it's not as if I resent not having been successful or a star or anything. It was never the idea. But it's a shame to think you wasted so much time being upset and down on yourself. Now, along with these things that seem like they could have been promising pop tunes, are really out there things. Like I said, some stuff sounds like outsider music. This is almost Jandek territory coming up here. A thing called Collector of Delight. I don't know whether the dude was high when he did it or whether he was just reaching for something in the Sid Barrett-Skip Spence end of creation. Listening to it this time, it doesn't sound so fractured and bizarre to me. Something's changed change when you look at them from different angles. This sounds like he was just going for something kind of mystical and elusive. I don't know if he got what he wanted out of that demo tape or that writing tape, but he got something mystical and elusive. It reminds me a little bit of David Vorhaus and Delia Derbyshire's uh, White Noise project, like the melody of the song Love Without Sound. But I'm going to play one whole song here before we move on from Keith Relf. And I think this is a lovely song. Sounds like the kind of thing that Sandy Denny might have written or um, Donovan, maybe even Bread. And I don't mean that as a wisecrack. David Gates was very talented. This one's called I'd Love to Love You Till Tomorrow.
0: Your autumn leaves were falling in our hair, the rain. To rest for just that moment, I could see you everywhere.
5: I'd love to love you till tomorrow. If tomorrow never came, but just tonight, I'll give you something if you'll give to me.
8: Words not spoken, touched so close, as if to say we'd known each other in some sky dream far, in some distance.
2: Keith Relf had his health problems, but what killed him was electrocution from an electric guitar. He was 33 years old. Jesus year. So between that said fact and the uh, thinking about my own demos and crap like that, I'm throw this one in here for Keith. It's one of mine.
0: Tell you of having high times
9: with a different And we
0: hadn't hung out too much lately. Sad to say I regret it now.
2: That was recorded for a project that was never completed. Collaboration with brilliant musician named Andres Carew. And while we were working on this thing, it was kind of my attempt to get back into things. There was a long period of doing nothing really after the album Uncle. A grief Sodden album itself but trying to get back on the horse and we were cutting a lot of stuff mostly the two of us although we had some help that particular track we had help from Sharon Kay a brilliant songwriter and performer she played the contrabass and um, violin was played by a woman named Meredith who I used to be friends with played on a bunch of my stuff but I won't give her a last name because I don't think she'd want to be associated with anything I did then or now now, what you hear behind me is a guy named John Klein, playing the carillon, or carillion. Not to be confused with carrion, which is the food for vultures. And that was the play on words in the song, singing carrion, carrion. Carry on until you're carrion. The song was a little bit of an insult to myself, because I found myself doing a lot of songs in tribute to people I loved who died. And it just started to seem like I was using it as an opportunity to wring cheap emotion out of a musical thing, including the whole Uncle album and other things I had written for my brother and for my friend Charlie and various people who'd died. Just had some mixed feelings about my own use of that source. But I don't think the impulse is bad, really. And I've done it here, obviously, with tributes to friends of mine that have died and artists I admired who have died, sometimes both. I think at a show like this, it's especially apt to do that because uh, it's me communicating to you, friend to friend. And I uh, wanna acknowledge those who leave us because they're stacking up like cordwood and I'm feeling the breath on the back of my neck. I ain't shitting you. So if you'll indulge me a few minutes, this is about somebody who you haven't heard of, probably. Certainly wasn't famous. And I haven't seen him in a long time, so not very many of the people who hear this will know who he is. Tony will remember him, but don't know about anyone else. Recently, I did a web search on him. Maddie Jankowski was his name. And I wanted to see what he was up to. I would do that every once in a while over the years, just see what he was up to. I was happy to find some years back that he was doing well. He had relocated to Florida from New York and was still doing his art and seemed like he was well and I was glad to know that but recently I did a search on him, see what was new and discovered several in memoriams from about three years ago or so some illness I don't know which one now Maddie was a friend of my brother Brian's who's ten years older than me but when I was a kid he took me under his wing he was an artist a collector a prominent person in the tattoo culture and he treated me as if I was something special and that kindness, that relationship, I think needs to be noted and a little gratitude given. My mania for collecting and antiques and stuff like that, oddities, owed a lot to him. I worked now and then at his antique shop that he had on Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. And other times I would help him transport, set up, and deal with buyers at these antique shows, various places, parking lots and whatnot. And I just did it for fun, but he paid me in stuff. He would give me antiques, really cool shit, amazing stuff. I was a preteen or later on in my early teens, and it was great an education and a lot of fun. He also dragged me to various gallery openings and museums, and through him I met a lot of artists, many of whom, it turned out, were famous, I didn't know at the time, but I attended a lot of these things they called happenings in those days, and realized that the kind of art that I liked didn't have a lot to do with the art world. And a lot of those people often struck me as kind of self-delighted bores who you'd call an influencer nowadays. Like I came to know leftists the way that a tracker learns to identify varieties of animal shit. But it helped me recognize the glow of actual individuals and genuine artists. And I met a lot of them too. Matty lived down the block from us with his wife Jeannie, who was fantastic. And I was always welcome over there. I would just turn up and I would hang out with either him or Jeannie or both of them. Stay overnight. After hours spent playing records, he exposed me to all kinds of stuff, everything from The Last Poets to King Crimson to Lead Belly. And the best thing of all was playing with his reel-to-reel tape recorder, which had sound on sound. I mean, overdubbing. Jesus, what magic. On one of my albums, this thing called Magic Beans, it starts with Maddie's voice from one of those old tapes we made. I wanted to have him introducing me on that as a kind of a spiritual tip of the hat because making those tapes with him is really what started me on the whole thing that led me through music and to here as well. This one goes back to where I I must have been about nine or 10.
10: Michael Murphy. Does it have to
2: make sense? No, young Murphy, it doesn't and it never will. But Maddie really was another big brother to me, and maybe the only real mentor that I ever had. Because we made films together, we invented comics, characters. He really enjoyed being with me. A kid, you know, and he just hung out. Like, he encouraged me and let me use his art supplies and sit at his drawing board and do whatever I wanted. And he would take me around and introduce me to all these weird, interesting people, like I mentioned before, people in the arts and people on the fringes. Uh, Probably got involved in some things that were a little too mature for my age, but he was protective, so I never got in any trouble, never really did me any harm. And those years went by, and uh, our time ended after I moved out to Long Island and met some new friends. I brought my new pal, Tony DeCosa, into New York City to meet him. And for some reason that night, Maddie acted like a real prick. It felt almost like a kind of jealousy. And you know how fickle you are when you're a kid. Um, That was it for Matty. You know, he didn't treat my friend nice. You're immature, it's so easy to drop an important relationship for silly reasons. This was just some indignation on my part, but uh, he was being a prick, so what are you gonna do? I feel bad about it, but it does help me relate to a lot of the people who've done the same thing to me. Just kind of shrug at the stupid shame of the whole thing. I know that that topic comes up a lot. It happens a lot, especially these past few years. Uh, Say, la vie. As a sidebar, I counsel you and remind myself to try and mend fences wherever mendable. Ain't always possible. And it's always easier said than done. But anyway, fortunately, we reconnected a little bit a couple of decades later. I had one more evening with Maddie. I attended a performance of an avant-garde play, a real piece of shit that he was appearing in. And I happened to attend it with a guy who was directing a play that I was in at the time. Maddie had sent out an announcement out of the blue that showed up in the mail at my parents' house. So we went and saw him, and afterwards we went out to a bar and hung out. It was really nice. But uh, that was that. He was a special guy. He was very involved in the male art movement, if you know what that stuff was. He was involved with a bunch of uh, pranksters and art posers called the neoists. He was really early into the tattoo scene. He was doing them way back when and made a name for himself. He ended up doing some henna tattoos for the movies and of course did his regular tattooing and he ran something called the Body Archive. Later on, from what I saw online, he made huge metal sculptures. I still have a couple of his paintings. As I said, he helped instill in me a mania for oddball antiques and for making art. Taught me a lot about all that, and about music, and about humor. And I send him love wherever his spirit has gone. His favorite composer was Debussy. So I'm going to play the girl with the flaxen hair. He's really into the early Steve Miller band stuff. And I know he loved the album Sailor, so I'm going to play a track off of that. And it was an album he picked up that we used to listen to together and dug. Leo Sayer, just a boy, got one here. Song called "One Man Band" from that album, and um, that was Maddie. He was a one-man band. He was always busy doing various things at once. Always enthused, eager to share, and he kept at it despite all the million obstacles and discouragements life hurled in his way. So thanks, Maddie.
7: a nose down like Brook Grove You have to leap across the street You can lose your life under a taxi cab You gotta have eyes in your feet You find a nice soft corner and you sit right down Take up your guitar and play But then the lawman comes says move along And so you move along all day well, I'm a one-man fan Nobody knows nor understands Is there anybody out there Wanna lend me a hand To my one-man band? For three days now I haven't eaten at all My, my, I must be getting so offend. Soon my cap won't be large enough To drop a half a crown in. So have them mister Don't you Look so sad Don't look so with well at ease When I can play you Any song you like To cheer up that life you need Oh I'm a one man band Nobody knows nor understands Is there anybody out there wanna To my one man band sings his tale of war Nobody sees him coming Nobody sees him go So hear that, Mr. Don't you Look so sad, don't look so well at ease When I can play you any song you like To cheer up that life you lead Well I'm a one man Is there anybody out there wanna lend me a hand? To my one-man band. Well, I'm a one-man band. Nobody knows, no one understands. Is there anybody out there? one-man band
3: The world is alive with music That's very clear And it will magically appear When your radio is near
2: That's right, your radio or your tablet or your computer or however you listen to this stuff. I've done a lot of yapping here. And I think it's time for a buckleroo block. Pretty impressive, huh? I know, I know. Yeah, so I'm gonna stretch out a little bit here, just play a bunch of songs and uh, you can just groove, you know, or, uh, or, or fast forward if you hate them. Here's a few things you're gonna be hearing. On the last regular show, I think it was, I talked about my friend Colin over in England and he'd sent me a whole bunch of songs by invitation to check out. And I'm gonna play another one of those here. The Mighty Wah. Now, Wah was a band that went under a lot of different variations of the name. They Wah Heat, and just playing Wah. <laughs> kind of like Thoroughwell with Fetus, you know, there's all these different Fetus variations. The Wah O Tour was Pete Wiley, artist out of Liverpool, and early on he had a trio with Ian McCulloch, who wound up in. What you call it? Uh, oh, Jesus! Now I'm blanking. Echo and the Bunnymen and Julian Cope, who went on to Teardrop Explodes, and all sorts of other stuff. So, kind of a Liverpool supergroup of the 1980s. Although nobody knew him yet, right? So you can't call it a supergroup. It was a seminal. It was a seminal trio. Not a seminal trio. No, because they they were from Florida. It's a long way from Liverpool. Anyway, so here's the Mighty Wah, and Colin sent me a song called Story of the Blues, which I had never heard before. It's a cool record. And let's see, what's after that? Another friend of mine, Jimmy the K, Jim Knipfel, was mentioned on the show I did about the wind on the Patreon in reference to Joe Meek and his immortal Telstar. Jimmy the K is a connoisseur of versions of Telstar, and he sent me his favorite one. I don't know if I'm going to pronounce the artist's name correctly. Camillo Felgen. Camillo Felgen? Something like that. Foygen? Felgen? Felgen? Felgen's a nice name.
6: Ah, oh, shut up.
2: No, I don't know anything about this performer, so fortunately Jimmy the K filled me in a little bit here, and I'll just read what he says. Herr Felgen, Felgen, Felgen was an interesting cat, a Belgian crooner who was huge in Germany in the 50s and 60s. He goes on to say that a lot of the guy's work doesn't really grab him because it's got that Schlager's thing to it. He goes on to say, this freaking Telstar came out of nowhere in 62, never did anything like it before or since, and no matter how deep the despair of any given moment, that's one of a tiny handful of songs that without fail leaves me giddy, if only for the duration of the song. Man, that crisp enunciation of his is too much. I'll buy that. And then after Telstar, I'm going to play my favorite Chuck Berry record. Okay, so that's what you're going to hear. But before we start with any of it, I'm going to play a track by Lancome. Lancome is a contemporary group from Ireland. Dublin, in fact. My dad's hometown. And like a lot of the musicians I encountered over in Ireland, they're going to the Irish folk music thing, but treating it in a very original way with um, influences of... uh, art music, you know, in this song you might hear some Philip Glass sort of stuff going on. It's from 2017 and the song is called The Granite Gaze. Are we the
8: ones left behind?
5: It's quiet, the dock The boat she late since twelve o'clock Me watch the tide easing in It's low the moon But high the wind Havana moon Havana moon Me all alone Me open the rung It's long the way to come. American girl, come back to me. We'll sail away across the sea. We'll dock in New York, the building's high. We find a home up in the sky. Havana moon. Havana moon. Me still alone. Me sip on the rum. Wonder when the boat she come to bring me love? Oh, sweet little thing, she rock and roll, she dance and sing, she hold me tight, she touch me lips, me eyes they close, me heart she flip, Havana moon. Still alone Me drinking the rum Begin to think The boat no come American girl She tell a lie She say till then She mean goodbye Havana moon Havana moon Me lay down alone Was good the rum Me fall Sleep, the boat she come, the girl she look till come the dawn. She weep and cry, return for home. The whistle blow, me open me eyes, was bright the sun, was blue the skies. Me grab me shoes, me jump and run, me see the boat head for horizon. Havana Moon is gone, de rum, de boat she sailed, me love she gone. Havana Moon,
2: Havana Moon. Now that's some kind of record, if you ask me. Something about it. Anyway, earlier I told you I was going to throw some more quotations at you. I got one here, or a kind of a combination of ones here, from the philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein. Um, and it touches on uh, something I try to get at here a lot, which is the context of a lot of this music. Not only the making of the music, but what it means to me or to another listener. Or Anyway, here's what Ludwig says. Perhaps what is inexpressible, what I find mysterious and am not able to express, is the background against which whatever I could express has its meaning. It's impossible for me to say one word about all that music has meant to me in my life. How then can I hope to be understood? Our craving for generality has, as one source, our preoccupation with the method of science. I mean, the method of reducing the explanation of natural phenomena to the smallest possible number of primitive natural laws, and in mathematics, of unifying the treatment of different topics by using a generalization. Philosophers constantly see the method of science before their eyes and are irresistibly tempted to ask and answer in the way science does. This tendency is the real source of metaphysics and leads the philosopher into complete darkness. I want to say here that it can never be our job to reduce anything to anything, or to explain anything. Philosophy really is purely descriptive. Put a man in the wrong atmosphere and nothing will function as it should. He will seem unhealthy in every part. Put him back into his proper element, and everything will blossom and look healthy. And one more thought from Ludwig. Music conveys to us itself. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Recently had a discussion with my friend Erwin, and he brought up Artie Shaw. Interesting guy, you know, band leader, clarinet player. Huge all-time hit, Begin the Beguine, had a lot of movie star dames in his life, and had a very iffy relationship with the music business. It turned up in the weirdest places. Um, Great American Dream Machine back in the early 70s had him ranting on one episode, really entertaining. And he also shows up in a documentary about the painter and underground cartoonist Robert Williams. Who knew they were pals? Not me. He did some very interesting records. I'm going to play two of them, I think, just to give you an idea of some of his range. Sort of early on, in his successful phase, right after he did begin the Beguine, he's got this almost chamber music piece called "Mood in Question." But before that, I'm going to play a song from later in his career, in the early '50s. It's a song called "My Kind of Love," which I was only familiar with Bing Crosby's version from the '30s, which is very da 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 He's got June Hutton singing with him. June Hutton was a singer who replaced Joe Stafford in The Pied Pipers. And it's a really interesting arrangement. A lot of what's interesting about it is not so obvious. So listen in. I think, I think you'll dig it. Two from Artie Shaw. My Kind of Love and Mood in Question.
1: me
11: out, they laugh and take me in. They send me off to places they have never been. They were in the same place yesterday. We are like
0: them We
4: aren't like them
11: Lately when I speak out it's just to my friends There isn't hope for us if we don't let others in. I was in the same place yesterday, hoping for people to be. The changes they see. When um.
2: It was a song called "Lately" from Carousel Waltz by an act called The Robot Ate Me, which is a guy named Ryland Bouchard. Robot Ate Me was on the same label I was on, Kill Rock Stars. Although I think they were on a some side offshoot of the label. I, I don't really know. My relationship with Kill Rock Stars was always kind of tenuous. It gave me a kind of credibility with some people. A lot of musicians befriended me because I was on the label. I think they thought they could get somewhere. Talk about hitching your wagon to an anvil. And when the guy who ran the label left it to uh, be run by his wife, she didn't like my stuff. And I said, listen, can I just leave the label and take my albums back? They were happy to oblige. So now I have absolute rights to all my albums. Anybody know a label that want to put them out? Spread the word, Fire sale. Anyway, The Robot Ate Me has some pretty good stuff on it. That one and another one they did called On Vacation, one of the ones I have. And I like them. And boy, oh boy, here we are at the end of this thing. Sheesh. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm hoping autumn is uh, better than summer was. It's been tough. So far, the signs aren't encouraging, but I hope is eternal. And I will continue and conclude the quotations conceit for this show with a couple of items from Charles MacKay. He was the author of a book called Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. And then i will play one last song. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go with Georgie Fame again. Like I said before, people tend to like Georgie Fame. So I'm going to play a kind of a sing-me-off kind of number called Get Away. Men, it has been well said, think in herds. It will be seen that they go mad in herds while they only recover their senses slowly. And one by one.
1: I, 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 I sincerely mean this. Not a joke.
2: Here's another. We go out of our course to make ourselves uncomfortable. The cup of life is not bitter enough to our palate, and we distill superfluous poison to put into it, or conjure up hideous things to frighten ourselves at, which would never exist if we did not make them. You think I'm kidding, I'm not. We find that whole communities suddenly fix their minds upon one object and go mad in its pursuit, that millions of people become simultaneously impressed with one delusion and run after it till their attention is caught by some new folly, more captivating than the first.
10: But all kidding aside, I'm not joking. No,
1: I mean it, I'm serious.
2: Of all the offspring of time, error is the most ancient and is so old and familiar an acquaintance that truth, when discovered, comes upon most of us like an intruder and meets the intruder's welcome.
1: You think I'm joking. I'm not, you know what I mean?
2: As for me, I got nothing much to say other than um, good luck and God bless us everyone. Thank you for listening to Buckaroo Holiday. Take care. I really mean it.
10: Time. Believe that the time is right, don't let it slip away. Instead of dreaming about tomorrow, you can live today if you get away. I'm no little place, not far from town, gotta go. a kind of pretty place, free of. Get away, get away.